I am so very pleased to say that on our show this week, we are joined by Dr. David Satcher. Dr. Satcher was a four-star admiral in the United States Public Health Service Commission Corps, and he served as the 16th U.S. Surgeon General, and he was the former head of the Centers for Disease Control. Dr. Satcher is the founding director and senior advisor for the Satcher Health Leadership Institute at the Morehouse School of Medicine in Atlanta, Georgia. Dr. Satcher will be discussing Alzheimer's and mental health with Dr. Monica Parker. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Satcher. I'm so glad that you could make the time to be a part of our little podcast. So you've been a champion for Alzheimer's research and mental health for a number of years. Can you tell us um, more about why this is important, why Alzheimer's research is important? Well, I think uh, Alzheimer's research is critical because as we discovered when we were planning for the future, while we are getting a grip, if you will, on a lot of our major problems in the sense that they're going in the right direction, number of deaths from heart disease going down and things like that, but with Alzheimer's, everything is still increasing. So that means that we've got to become much more vigorous in our attack on Alzheimer's disease. We have a lot to do in terms of research, in terms of the kind of thing you're doing in the community, uh, educating the community, getting people involved, critical things, and so. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Care for people who have Alzheimer's is very expensive, very time-consuming, um, and one of the things that I've observed is people of color don't necessarily seek help early enough. What can mm-hmm. we help them do? Well, I think we can do uh, what we were doing today. I think we can educate people uh, in the community, educate families, so that they're more likely to um, realize that uh, there's something that's wrong or something that needs uh, checking earlier than than we tend to do now. Mm -hmm. So I think it's education at the community level. I think it's um, providing access to care Mm-hmm. for people so that when they need to seek help, they don't wait until it's late. And and seeking help late, whether it's medical help, getting a diagnosis is one thing. People aren't really making good use of other supports to kind of help family caregivers. Um, as a clinician, and I know that you're kind of removed from this now, but coordinating care with different doctors, like your primary care doctor today, we were asked, Do you have a good primary care doctor? Do I need to see a geriatric doctor? Well, we don't have a lot of geriatric doctors. We have to train primary care doctors to to be geriatric doctors and kind of pseudo-neurologists. And a lot of families don't coordinate care. Can, as somebody who's been in uh, academic research, uh, academic administration, what can we do to help train the next generation? Um, But also, make practicing providers more aware of their role? Well, first, uh, as somebody who has taught 
primary care in terms of residency training and other things. I think we have to continue to uh, help primary care to evolve to really respond to the needs today, not what they were 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. We don't have enough geriatricians, unfortunately, to take care of all the people that need to be taken care of. So I just think the concept of primary care has to expand to fit the growing needs of people for things like um, Alzheimer's disease. And one of the things that Morehouse is very good with, um, that Howard is very good with, and that Meharry, uh, which are traditionally historically black colleges and universities, is we train people to provide primary care. One of the issues I think that I feel as a primary care clinician and watching other people train is we don't have enough neurologic subspecialists. And I'm great with improving primary care, mm-hmm. education, training, et cetera, but we also need minority neurologists. And we don't have a training program in any of those schools. Well, we need more minority physicians. If we That's want true. To get back there. We, um, and we've been very concerned about that because, for example, especially black males are not uh, going into medicine to the extent that they were 20 years ago. So why? Well, we, that's, what we're, that's one of our major questions. Not just why, but why can't we change that? You, you know, what is it? I, I had a great experience two weeks ago. I was in West Palm Beach. Well, I think the, the black physicians there have done an outstanding job of encouraging students toward not just medicine, but medically related fields, science and medicine, math. I think we've got to do more of that. Um, and I think uh, it's going to take that to get people interested in and in believing that they can, uh, they can do math, they can do science, they can do medicine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You have a personal story with Alzheimer's and um, mental health. Do you want to share that with us? Well, um, yeah. Um, I, th- I think the first thing, you know, obviously is that my wife uh, came from a family with a very high uh, prevalence of Alzheimer's disease. Her, her mother uh Lived to be 93, but was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease um, in her early 70s. Mm. And so uh, we had the experience of, of, when I say living with that, we were in Georgia, she was in California, so she ended up uh, in an institution in uh, California. And that's what, you know, she didn't have, uh, by that time, didn't have any family that she was living with. So... um, I learned a lot about Alzheimer's, you know, dealing with her. And then, of course, later on, after she died, my wife was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. In fact, diagnosed here in Atlanta. She, um, uh, and I, um, I remember very well the early transition from California to Georgia and the whole thing about driving and her not wanting to quit driving, but finally admitted. In fact, she had a driver's test at Emory. Really? You know, that finally led her to say, I realize I shouldn't be driving. So a lot of experiences. She was a great person, and, you know, because Alzheimer's is bad enough, uh, but she had Alzheimer's, but she also was a great human being, cared about other people. She was a poet, wrote two books of poetry, published two books of poetry. So when I look at my life, I have to say I was fortunate, even though, 
I had the experience with Alzheimer's. I was a caregiver. I had a lot of different caregiving experiences. Um, but um, I hope that I'm as great a human being as she was. Well, thank you for that. I think that um, one of the things we often hear about caregivers, and we always think of caregivers being female daughters and mm -hmm. uh, female spouses, but we don't often hear about caregivers from the male side. Mm -hmm. And um, did you have a lot of help with your journey of caregiving with your wife? Yeah, I did. Um, you could argue that I may have had more than I deserved. I, you know, uh, we had children, and and they were very helpful, and uh, we had siblings, and so yeah, we had uh, had a lot of help. You had a village. You Virtually had a village a, to help. A virtual village, yes. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And um, I, too, am a caregiver, and I think that one of the things that happens in African-American culture is we have a village. We may not always recognize yes. that it's the village, it's exactly and right. we may not always give people an opportunity to assist in care. Right. But I think one of the things that African-American caregivers can do is learn about caregiving responsibilities, taking a class, and kind of like open up their minds to how we can probably expand the care network so that we reduce burden yeah, and frustration. I, I, I think we, there ought to be classes in school, high school especially, about caregiving. That's I mean, some a good of the things idea. That we, everybody is not going to end up going to college. We ought to encourage everybody to go. But um, we ought to better prepare people for things that many people are going to have to do and are going to do. And truthfully, a lot of grandchildren are taking care of grandparents with exactly. dementia, exactly. Um, particularly in Latin American communities. A lot of grandparents, mm -hmm. uh, first-generation Americans, if you will, are living with their children and their grandchildren, and their grandchildren are helping them with their medicines mm -hmm. and going to the doctor and interpreting. That's what I've seen. You're on the board of an organization, Us Against Alzheimer's. Can you tell us a little bit more about Us Against Alzheimer's and how maybe it may differ from something like the Alzheimer's Association? Well, um, Us Against Alzheimer's uh, was started by a couple, and uh, the spouse, the wife, had Alzheimer's. And uh, I met them, I guess, uh, when she was, uh, you know, close to, to death. And so I was, I joined the board uh, before she passed. And um, her husband is just a great guy. and. Um, they have wealth, which mm -hmm. I've found helps. Um, mm -hmm. Even though I don't have wealth, I know it helps. And uh, so I've joined the board of Us Against Alzheimer's. We've had some tremendous success at getting uh, NIH, for example, to increase the research budget for Alzheimer's. And, um, and that's probably what we're proudest of. Policy. Yeah. Influencing yeah, policy in Washington. Influencing policy and in Washington, uh, which I've found can be a difficult, but also can be critical. It can be, you know, life-changing if you can get it done. And we've had a lot of support from Congress, in part, I think, because so many of them have experiences with Alzheimer's. So yeah. many of them have family members, and they and they have uh, responded, you know, because they know that we sincerely care about this issue so we care about them and uh, we are able to get them to respond i'm hoping that with all of the money that has been put 
into Alzheimer's research and also Alzheimer's care that yes, we get to a point where we develop a definitive treatment or cure, but more importantly, that we have more safeguards in the community for families. Uh, mm. First of all, for getting a proper diagnosis, but other resources. You know, we talk about long-term care and in-home care and their differences, but I think more funds need to be expended by the government in helping families with receiving long-term care. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100 um, percent. I've had a lot of different experiences with care facilities, different mm-hmm. kind of different daycare, home care. You know, I've had a lot of experiences. And uh, it's an area where we need to put more time and energy into into helping families yes. know, to deal with. Yeah. I want to thank you so much, Dr. Satcher, for being a part of our program today, but also for taking the time to speak to us and share some wisdom. Thank you, Dr. Satcher. You're quite welcome. Thank you for having me. It was great. We hope you enjoy our podcast. Please visit our Facebook page, My Parents Are Now My Kids and on Instagram at my parents are now my kids. And if you have any questions for us, please email us at my parents are now my kids at gmail.com. See you next time.